Hello, listeners. This is PSG Talk contributor Mark Damon, and this is a dual PSG Cup Talk slash Small Talk for Wednesday, July the 4th, 2018. Happy Independence Day to my American listeners. Um, let's start off the show with a timeline. And I'll try to be brief on this because I don't want to waste any more energy than I already have on it. June the 13th, PSG were cleared of a 10-month financial fair play investigation, which was partially started by pressure from Real Madrid, Barcelona, Bayern Munich to investigate PSG's dealings in the 2017 transfer window. They were cleared in the sense that they weren't absolved completely, but the investigator chose not to punish PSG, that they would hold off any potential further review, maybe that would be something down the line, maybe not this close, obviously, but they did leave that door open, as minor of a crack as it was, and ordered PSG to sell 60 million to 40 million to 50 million, depending on who you ask, uh, worth of players, which PSG then did for the rest of June. They sold Edson Odoard for eight, Javier Pastore for 24, Jonathan Nakone for five, Yuri Brashiche for 20. So they got to their target. PSG have fully cooperated with the investigation, they have handed over all documents, and let me reiterate that they were cleared. July 1st, actually, was it the 1st or the 2nd? It was the 2nd. There's a report that came out that Real Madrid had bid 310 million euros for Neymar Jr. 30 minutes later, Real Madrid shut that down in an official communique. The very next day, July the 3rd, UEFA reviews the ruling or reopens it, depending on what kind of verbiage you use. I would say review more than reopen, because you can't really reopen an investigation unless there's new facts that have been inserted into the into the pile of evidence. Now, you can review a ruling without new facts and evidence, but you really can't reopen one unless there's new facts. Now, if there's new facts and they can show that there's new facts and that something tangibly changed between June 13th and July 3rd, then we have a different ballgame. And I'm not going to say that that's impossible. It's entirely possible. But no evidence has been shown as of yet to prove that in any way. That day, that same day, which was yesterday... There's a rumor and a report that Juventus are going to pay 100 million euros for Cristiano Ronaldo, which is well below his market value. Also that same day, which was yesterday, there was a report that said Kylian Mbappe was going to Real Madrid because PSG and Real Madrid had reached an agreement. Today, this morning, Real Madrid shut that down in another uh, communique. So what does this all mean? It's interesting because I think it's pretty obvious what's going on. I think anybody who wants to be fair and honest about this clearly understands what's going on. And I'm not going to belabor the point. 
But it's clear right now that the threat of financial fair play is being used by UEFA as the proverbial hostage in exchange for sending either Neymar, Kylian Mbappe, or both to Real Madrid. This seems very obvious. Jonathan Johnson has said as much. I completely agree with him. That's the play that they're making here, which is that Real Madrid cannot stand, and Barcelona and Bayern Munich to a lesser extent, that PSG have these star players who are are absolutely thriving in the World Cup. They're the stories of the World Cup right now. And there's a very good chance that a PSG star will be holding up that World Cup at the end of this tournament. It's very clear that, and I've said this before, that they do not like that PSG have these players. PSG are not supposed to have players this good. Players this good are reserved for the elite clubs. They are hoarded by the elite clubs. That's how the system works. In 2017, PSG bucked that trend. They upset a lot of people in the way that they did it. And now it's the empire strikes back. Real Madrid, Florentino Perez, Javier Tebas... The old guard are using UEFA as a political tool. And that's okay. I'm not going to get mad. I'm not going to yell. I'm not going to scream. PSG are in the right. They have been in the right this entire time by the letter of the law. Maybe not by the intent of the law, but by the letter of the law. And they do not have to be bullied into anything. PSG are not Liverpool. They're not... um, They're not one of these lesser clubs that gets bullied into doing things. PSG have the financial stability and the patience and the ruthlessness to call the bluff here. Because it really is a bluff. Because if UEFA tries to sanction PSG in any sort of harsh way, PSG have an amazing lawsuit on their hands. Because they can't be punished more than Milan was. Because Milan actually can't even pay their bills. There's a huge difference between what PSG did and what Milan did. Milan can't even pay their bills. They don't even have any money. PSG accidentally or on purpose, or accidentally on purpose, overvalued their sponsorships. There's a huge difference between the two. And hell. If UEFA want to wait till 2019 and come for PSG then and force that sale then, they may have more of an argument depending on what the finances look like. But this is a really shallow, dirty attempt to unsettle Paris Saint-Germain and take their players. It's what it is. Sorry. You, you want to think I'm a conspiracy theorist? Whatever. That's what this is. Sometimes the simplest answer is the best answer, and it's the right answer. So that's pretty much all I'm going to say about that. I, 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 I think PSG will be fine in the long run. They just have to be patient, and they have to be willing maybe to bend a little bit with this. Maybe take a settlement, quote-unquote, maybe a, a one-window ban or a transfer ban or lower their roster size, whatever. 
it, it it's it's blackmail at at the sort of highest levels, but I I don't think it's very well thought out by UEFA. I don't think they I don't think it's smart by them. I think they're opening themselves up to a lawsuit. So we'll see how that turns out. On better news, this is the first day that PSG players are returning to training. Uh, Thomas Tuchel will get his team for the first time, which won't really be much of his team. It'll be part of his team. And a very small part of his team. So we'll see what happens. Marco Verratti will be in the building. Levin Krizal will be in the building. Um, a lot of the younger players, Timothy Whale will probably be in the building. Yassine Adley is, I think, working for the uh, under-19 um, Euro- uh, European Championship, so I don't think he'll be there. But you'll have a small group of players who are going to begin the Tomas Tuchel era, and it'll probably be a little bit painful at the beginning, just getting all these new all these players integrated. But I I, I trust Tuchel's a good coach. I think he'll be able to do it by mid-August, late August, before the Champions League starts. But it might be a little bit of a rough start at the beginning. I wouldn't be surprised if they lost a game or so in the month of August in this transition. Um, also, good news on the uh, youth academy front. PSG are signing up a lot of youth, of their youth players, including Yassine Adley, Timothy Pimbele, Musa Sissako. Um, I think I always get that name wrong because there's a Musa Sissako, but I always kind of get that name that name wrong. So, pardon me if I do. But um, a lot of good stuff going on, honestly. And um, I, I'm excited to see that a lot of these youth players are sticking with the PSG project, especially Yassine Adley. I think that it's important that PSG get these youth players under contract, if for no other reason than to have their rights and to be able to loan them and sell them and make profits off of them moving or benefiting from them having the ability to grow in the system and become players that you don't necessarily have to pay as much as the high-priced free agents or high-priced transfer targets that PSG are looking for in general. Um, I also would make the point that in pretty much every one of these shots, it's been Maxwell um, as the face of everything, as opposed to Antero Henrique. Which I find interesting because I think they're grooming Maxwell to be the new uh, sporting director when Antero Henrique decides to move on. And he, he's a good public face for the whole thing. He's got a good look. He's, you know, the players like him. I think he's a he's a good guy. I feel good for Maxwell and how he's sort of uh, worked his way up PSG's corporate structure as quickly as he has. Which is quite impressive. So there's your PSG news. Um, on the other side of the music, we will have John Olangi along to discuss the quarterfinals of the World Cup. We'll review the round of we'll preview blah blah. We'll review the round of 16, preview the quarterfinals. So stay with us, folks. On the other side of the music, we will be right back with that.
John, um, we haven't talked since the beginning of the World Cup. Um, how have you enjoyed your World Cup so far? Uh, it's been it's been amazing, actually. Uh, it's one of those World Cups where we, you know, we we all thought it would go one way, but we've been kind of getting we've all been wrong thus far for the most part. But it's very exciting, and it's probably. You know, personally for me, one of the best World Cups I've personally seen as an adult, you know, just being just from the aspect of being conscious of what's happening, knowing the ins and outs of certain players and certain countries. It's just it's been amazing. Um, What do you think about the um, I wouldn't I guess we'll solve them the upsets. What do we think about the some of the big teams going out early in this tournament? And what do you attribute that to? Um, uh, complacency, um, you know, and just, you know, these other teams is that they're not, I don't know. I I really don't know what, what exactly to attribute it to, but that's, you know, teams like Germany, when, when we talked about them before the world cup started, you know, some of my issues were lineups like Yogi Lowe, not sure of you know, of the, the the best 11 he will put out there, things like that. And you can see the teams that are still in it in the last eight, the, the you know, the lineups have remained consistent and they're playing up to the competition. So, um, you know, there's not really anything particular to point out, but I think it's just uh, complacency from the bigger sides and, and the quote-unquote underdogs kind of just leaving it all out there and it's giving us like an exhilarating World Cup. If you had to grade the VA, the usage of VAR and the officiating in general in this World Cup, and those might be two separate answers, but let's stay with VAR, the implementation of VAR, and the officiating in general. What letter grades would you give them? I would say up until um, the group stage, I would give it an A minus. Honestly, I thought every call was fair. Every call was timely. You know, that was one of the things we were kind of, you know, on the fence about. Would it take long? Would it, you know, would it drag out the games? And and it, and it didn't. But I think uh, after, you know, heading into the round of 16, I would give it a C, C, C minus just because there's, there's been some questionable calls. Uh, and, it, you know, when you get into the knockout stages, you never really want – officiating to, you know, to, to decide the game. And uh, there was a few games, a, a few calls that I thought were questionable and just weren't consistent with what they had been doing in the group stages. I thought in the group, group stages it was phenomenal. It was everything that FIFA could hope it would be in terms of consistency, making the right calls, and making it in a timely manner. So I would say A, A- minus uh, during the group stages and about a C uh, so far in the, in the round of 16. Do you think the officials are more cautious in using the VAR in these uh, more important uh, knockout stage games? I, I feel like there it, there has been sort of a a decrease in the usage of it. You haven't seen it as much in the in these knockout games, and you saw the game again, the game yesterday, Colombia and England, where I think Mark Geiger lost control of the game, and it's sort of at a, at a point, it just got a little bit nonsensical, the way um, Columbia were acting and the way England were responding. It, is, it, is, it, that, is it fair to say that 
when you get into the knockout round, just like the players sort of, uh, some of the more inexperienced players maybe start making the mistakes that they wouldn't normally make, would you kind of say that for the officiating as well? Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think that's par for the course in terms of just, you know, you, you see it in, in, in other sports and, uh, in NBA and football and the, uh, American football in the playoffs where the referees are, you know, they're, they, they overdo it because they try to get it so right because it's, you know, it's win or go home situations. And I feel like that, that in a sense is what's going on here in the World Cup. But to me, it's like, I don't understand how you go through however man however many matches we had in the group stages you know they they were very consistent there but i think there is some of that um you know that that it's like a a mental thing where they try to overdo it and it, you know they they don't want to come off as very trigger happy to go review every call and um and i think that that plays a big role into why we we've seen it in the round of 16 I'd agree. I think they want. I think the referees want to really sort of use the VAR when they absolutely have to in these games because you don't want to have the, the players running up to you and asking for a review off of every single play. I get the psychology. I just I feel like there are a couple games there where the the, uh, the games could have been a little bit better managed. But uh, let let's see how we can get into this because I actually want to do this a little differently today. Um, we have eight more teams remaining. We are into the quarterfinals. Let's rank the teams one through eight, from obviously one being the the favorite and eight being the absolute outside shot, the worst from best to worst. Okay. So let's start with eight. Who is it? Who of the teams that are left is your eighth? Uh, is your eighth team? Uh, this is a tough one. Um... I'll, I'll tell you now. Mine would be Russia. <laughs> Yeah, well, it's 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 between Russia and Sweden, right? Uh, and I only say Russia. Be, I, I would lean towards Russia because, you know, when when you know they did they did phenomenal in the group stage, and I, I was really impressed with what they did and their resilience. And uh, it's really it's really something that like I didn't even have them making it out the group or winning any game in the group stages. So for them to even get this far. We thought we all thought the first game was just a facade, and they ended up proving everyone wrong. But I think it's important to note when they finally played a formidable opponent in Uruguay, they got stomped. And then, if you want to argue, well, they you know they they drew Spain, but Spain tiki tacked themselves out the World Cup, so I don't even account that. Like they they didn't take them seriously. They didn't you know they they were just passing the ball back and forth, back and forth, and they never really posed any threat to Russia. But I think the match against Uruguay, when they pretty much stumped on them, that for me was the real Russia. And I, I don't think they're going to be uh, as disciplined when you come when, when it comes to a team like Croatia. And, uh, yeah, I think they'll be the first one to go. Well, I think they're the weakest link in the last eight. They are, and they, they just don't have the quality of players that the other seven teams have. Even Sweden, I think, has a better quality of player than I think a lot of people are going to give them credit for having. But the the, the thing that I I like about Russia is that they're unabashedly what they are. And they allowed Spain to pass themselves into oblivion. And they packed it deep. Spain couldn't get through. They had no idea how to get through. I think they just expected to just win that game by showing up. And I think 
maybe even more so than Germany. I think Spain is my um, my top disappointment in this tournament. I, I feel like Germany had... Um, I think Germany had a little bit of an excuse as to sort of um, why there was a bit of a stagnation in the way they tried to go about it, and Yogi Lowe didn't have his lineup the way he would like, and the players weren't exactly picked well, and there's, I think, uh, I think there's that thing of a World Cup hangover. I think it does exist. I think the expectations to win it again, I think, sometimes can be a little strong, and you kind of have that thing where you win it one way and you try to win it that same way again, but the ground kind of changes underneath you. So when you're a team that's already won and you don't adapt to how the game's changed in four years, I think that's what happened to um, Germany, if that makes any sense. Yeah, I agree. You know, what I'm saying is you, you they're a team that had a very specific style and a method that worked. They took out Miroslav Klose, who was sort of their outlet and their safety valve. And they try to play in a very similar way four years later, and the, the, the game has changed. And when we talk about Spain, Spain looked like it was in a time warp. They looked like they were in 2009. Like, when I, when I was graduating from high school and Spain was the best team in the world, that's what it looked like to me. And football has fundamentally, I believe, and I, I wrote this in a tweet, I think that Tiki Taka is dead. I think it, it had its day. There are elements of it that you can still use. It's sort of like the Princeton offense. Like, for a while in, in college basketball, everyone tried to use the Princeton offense, and there's elements of it that you can still use, but just using it as a whole offense is just, it's not going to work anymore. Same thing with Tiki Taco, because teams are more compact, they're more athletic, they're more physical than they were, and the the art of counter football has sort of i think taken over the game in a way that it never has before because now these teams when they counter they counter with size and speed and skill as opposed to just sort of having 11 schmucks on the field trying to kick a ball out yeah. so i i think that's i think spain has to really look at itself and figure out what they're going to do in the future but russia uh I, as I, I, I didn't see them beating Spain, so I guess anything can happen. I'm not making predictions on this show, because if this World Cup's shown us anything, predictions are futile. So all I'm going to say is, Russia have to play another near-perfect game, and they're probably going to have to score more than a goal to win. Well, yeah, I mean, they the, 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 the weird part about their kind of run is that they've averaged like two goals a game, and they've only, it's like they have, they they have like 39% possession, so their entire game is counterattack, and and they're waiting for the other team to, to, to make a mistake. So when you look at who they're faced up with, Croatia doesn't make many mistakes, which is one of the reasons they're, they, they, they've done well so far. And and I think, like you said, the quality of players on that team, uh, to me, this is one of those uh, passionate runs, right, Like where it's like you're on home soil, you have the entire country behind you, and one of those like inspirational things going on, uh, it's like a spirit vibrating throughout the whole team. But when, like, when you go later into the stages of, of a tournament like this, I think tactics and structure and discipline, all that stuff, uh, is, is is heightened. And I don't think they have it. But you know, like I said, this is this this World Cup has been wild thus far. So 
we don't know. Really. Yeah, <laughs> and they could they could they could chuck a ball up to Artem Zuba, and they could you know they can they can get one of their big guys to to you know to put in a goal, and maybe Croatia has an off night. It's always possible. Um, yeah. You talked about the number seven team, and they'd be seven on my list too, which is Sweden. Although I think Sweden's a real team. Like I, I look at this team, and they over the last um, year have beaten France, they've beaten Italy, they've beaten, uh, they almost beat Germany, they've beaten Mexico, and now they've beaten uh, Switzerland. So they've beaten a wide variety of opponents with a wide variety of styles, and they've done it with, I wouldn't call it necessarily a park the bus mentality. They play, you know, they played with Switzerland. They didn't, you know, they didn't sit back against them. They played. They were, they were, they were trapping in the middle of the field. They were getting counters. They have guys who have some skill on the ball. You have, um, Emil Forsberg, who looks like he had his best game of the tournament uh, in the round of 16. Um, Toivonen and Berg are playing better than you could have ever expected them to. And you have a really solid back line of Granqvist and Lindelof. This is a good team. And I think there's going to be a lot of English supporters who really think that they're already in the semifinals. Not saying they won't go to the semifinals, but Sweden's a team. Like, they're not... To me, this is not an accident. Russia, to a degree, is an accident. This Sweden team is not an accident. Yes, definitely, I agree, and I think that's the like the the the, the biggest mistake. I think is something that you just pointed out. The biggest mistake England can do, can the biggest mistake they can make is going into this match thinking they have it in the bag because this is not that right. That this is. This is a team, like you said, they're, they're they're the real deal, and I've been really impressed with uh, um, with with uh, their back line. It's it's they're they're really stout, and they you know they're disciplined of defense, and it's interesting to think about Zlatan and and, and how one dimensional he made this team, and they're just playing more freely. Uh, Berg is really good. They're you know they're they're very decisive in front of goal. And, you know, they, they put together a really good tournament. And, um, you know, my, my only reason for having them seventh on this list is, you know, just quality of players when you compare them to England and these other teams. Yeah. But, you know, when it comes down to on what happens on the pitch, they can, they can very much win that game. But, you know, if we're just talking, you know, solely about ranking these teams, I would put them seventh. But, yeah, they can definitely beat England. So. But yeah, and I feel like um – I feel like Sweden enjoys this role of sneaking up on people. I think they thrive on it. I think it's a it's a mentality that they have. And England's not going to have to play as physical a game as they did against Colombia, but there's going to be challenges to sort of I think I think Sweden will give them less space than Colombia did cuz Colombia just looked like a mess. Yeah. During that game, they looked like a mess defensively, they looked like a mess offensively. Once you took Hamas off that team, I felt like they lost sort of a center to sort of run everything through, and Quintero just wasn't that guy. Yeah. So it'll be a different kind of challenge for England. And that brings us to number six. Do you have England's six? There's two teams fighting for that sixth and fifth spot. I would say either England or Uruguay, flip them either way. Who would you have sixth? 
Uh, six, I would go with, uh, I would go with Croatia. Ooh, okay. And, and I'm only saying this because, again, I'm going based off of the talent and and what I've seen thus far. Now, I, I haven't fancied England at all, but uh, they, they've gotten this far. You know, this is one, one thing about when you get to the, the, the last eight, it's like, Everyone who's gotten here is not by by luck or, or by mistake. You know, they worked hard to get here. They played who, who's who been in front of them. I just think Croatia, and I, I really like them. I think that they are, um, they're, you know, everyone talks about their midfield with Rakitic and Modric. They're brilliant players, but I think they've been really balanced, and, and I think that's been one of the, the, the bigger reasons that they, they move forward because it's, they're not solely dependent on their midfield. But I just think that there's more of a threat when you when you have a, a team like England with uh, you know Lingard, uh, Harry Kane, Rashford coming off the bench, and uh, you know and all these yeah. guys. And I, I, I would I would put them ahead of uh, ahead of Croatia only because of the the skill players on the team. I think they can cause cause more of a threat. Now when you talk about you know discipline and actually you know performing, that's a different story. But you know uh, again, I'm just Solely talking about the rank, and I would edge England over Croatia. Yeah, Croatia over England. Yeah, that you meaning? Yeah, you're saying England. If you're putting Croatia six, you're putting England in front of them, which is right, 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 right. Now here, right. He, this is interesting because I had Croatia higher than that. I had them a, a quite a bit higher than that. My sixth team was Uruguay because right. Uruguay have a very distinct style and they play it and they play it very well. They stymied Portugal. Um, they pretty much took Cristiano Ronaldo out of the game. Um, they were lights out in the in the group stage. They know who they are. They play with a they play with an intensity. They play with a spirit, and um, that's all good. But without Edinson Cavani, who is at this point probably ruled out for the game against France. You take Edinson Cavani off that team, and you're probably going to take him off for the next two games if they get into the semifinal. Because if he, if the report is right that he's strained his calf, that's about a week and a half to two week injury at the minimum. So even if he does try to play in the semifinal, they're going to be, um, they're going to, he's going to be compromised. And the guy you would bring in uh, to replace him would be Christian Stuani, who. Is not Edinson Cavani. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, I I look at Uruguay and I see a team where they have a great group team mentality, but if you start taking the pieces off of that team and you start going into their into their bench, I'm not as I'm not as sure that they're going to be as effective. And that France game for them is an interesting matchup because France can play a whole bunch of different ways. And Uruguay are going to have to defend, and they're not going to get a lot of space for Suarez and um, Suarez and Stuani. So I think partly because of the Cavani injury, but also just because I think they're a team that relies heavily on a style of play. And if they don't, um, if they don't get that sort of style game, or they don't get that kind of match, they're just not going to be as effective. Now, what do you think about Uruguay, and where would you actually rank them? Well, yeah, I have. If you write it down, uh, where did you write them down? I, so you know, Russia eighth, Sweden, Croatia, and then I have England, 
and then I have Uruguay. And you have them fourth. The only reason I have, I have fourth. Yeah. So they, they, they're really like you, like you said. They know what they're doing. They know what their game plan is, and they execute it. And I really, really, really love their defense. And I'm with you. Like the only deciding, the only thing that kind of turns this whole thing in terms of their matchup with France is Cavani. And you know, you can say what you want. The guy, the guy is, is, is a prolific scorer and is a very important part to their team and, and, and what their plan is when they go into a match. And if it's going to be solely Luis Suarez up front, like I don't know if that's going to be enough for a team like France who can run at you. They're super fast. They have speed all over the place. They can put out different lineups. And if, if you don't have Cavani, the only thing you're betting on is your defense to keep you in the game, which, you know, if I was a betting man, I would because Diego Godin and uh, Jimenez have been really good. You know, they, them and, and Brazil, I think, uh, have been my favorite two center back pairings with Thiago Silva and uh, John Miranda in terms of they're very disciplined. They kind of uh, work back and forth together. One steps up, one stays deep. Uh, you know, and so, so when we're talking about uh, ranking his teams, taking Cavani out lowers them for me, and I don't see them beating. I honestly don't see them beating France without Cavani, and that could be a big blow because I think they've had a very good tournament, and uh, I would love to see Cavani play, obviously, but if he's not available, I don't see them uh, beating France. It would be a, a tight game, yeah. a low-scoring game, but yeah, it's just a, it's just a lot to ask. It's a lot to ask Suarez to create all the movement and to open up all the lanes. Because the way Uruguay operates is that those two guys are the playmakers and the scorers. And the scorers. They create for themselves, they create for each other, and they create for the people around them. And when you take one of those guys out, it just, it, it hampers what they're trying to do. So I have Uruguay sixth, you have them fourth. We both have England fifth. Let me just go into England quickly. Um, look, part of it is... Uh, Part of me not liking England is sort of, uh, it's sort of uh, disingenuous. It's sort of a joke in a way. But there is that part of me that's like, I really don't want some of these England fans to be this happy. There's a part of me that's just like, some of the English fans are just totally insufferable. Which is, which is a shame because this England team has really convinced me that they're something. Yeah. Like, I, I'll, I'll call Harry Kane the goal burglar, but I don't necessarily call him that as an insult. I mean, right. you need guys to finish like that. I just don't think he's one of the great players in the game, but you need guys who can do that type of stuff. It's it's yeah. necessary. It's, it's how a team functions. But they work hard. They got into an absolute dogfight with Colombia, and they survived. They kept their heads. Uh, defensively, they're better than I thought they'd be. Walker, Stones, uh, Maguire, and actually Kieran Trippier, who was very good in that game yesterday. Um, Raheem Sterling, in his movement, is just really good. Like He's been great off the ball. He's not so good on the ball, but he's a really good off-the-ball player. He kind of has that Gabby Jesus thing, yes. where Jesus is really a special player when it comes to being off the ball and creating movement and space, but not necessarily as good when they get the ball at their feet and they need to go score a goal. Right. But England do have enough goal scoring around it. You have Kane, you have Deli Ali. I mean, they're a likable team. Except for Harry Maguire, they're a likable team. Yeah. 
And if they were in England, you know, I would think if, if this were another team, if this were, let's say, Belgium, or if they had another name on their shirt, I would, I'd be much more inclined to root for them. But I just, I just can't, uh, I can't get myself to doing that. And yes, they probably should beat Sweden. Although again, Sweden's going to give them a game. The question is, what, is it possible? I guess it's possible. That's a dumb way to phrase it, but is it, is there a better than 25% chance that England win the World Cup? Um, I feel like they they have a puncher's chance. Like uh, I don't I don't know if that's you, know, you would consider that twenty five percent. Maybe I would say that's that. less than twenty five percent. But I get yeah, where you're going so, with that. Like, no, I don't. You know, like I, like I said, everyone who's made it to this point has a chance until you face France, Belgium, or Brazil. Yeah. So whatever whatever percentage that is. So yeah, I, I'm I'm with you on on that that entire um, <laughs> kind of logic on England because it's like. I like, like, it's like when LeBron was with the Cavaliers. I like LeBron. I just don't like his fans, right? Like, <laughs> they're just annoying and and whatever, you know, it's just, I don't, I don't, I don't want to hear it. And then when they win, you got to hear this for however long. And I'm, I was looking at, like, viral videos of the fans going nuts and everyone saying, uh, the, what's the phrase they keep saying? It's coming home. I'm like, yeah, it's coming home. World Cup, relax. <laughs> well, actually, if they, if we want to be honest about it, the home of the World Cup is Uruguay. I mean, they were the first ones to win it, so. Yeah, so I mean, whatever they can have their little party, but if we're talking solely football things related, yes, this is a very good team, and I, you know, I, I just, I just don't think they are, um, they're, they're ready. I, I don't think this team has been, has been. Is, is as experienced as the others, uh, as, as the other big teams uh, in the last eight, and I think yeah. that's where they'll fail. Yeah, I think the experience. I think going through four games and having to win all four is it's 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 the hardest one of the hardest things to win in sports. Yeah. And usually you have to have a team that's ready for it and has been building to it. England might be the favorite or one of the favorites in four years, and they may have an. You know, they may have a very early kind of run to the semifinals or even, God forbid, the finals. But they're going to have to beat Croatia. They're going to have to beat Brazil, France, or Belgium. That's a lot to ask. Um, number four, you had Uruguay. I have Belgium at four. Now, I watched that game against Japan. And I thought Belgium leaked defensively with their three at the back because... Meunier is not a defensive player. They're playing those wingbacks. It's a very attacking style. It's very nice to watch. But Japan, which is a very technical, kind of classy team that I think a lot of people underrated, for a lot of that game, Japan was better on the ball. They were more technical. They were more clinical in the final third. And it really took Belgium deciding to just put a bunch of big bodies in there and, you know, out-brooding Japan to win. They didn't win the game because they all of a sudden were better technically than Japan was. They won the game because they got bigger bodies in there that could direct headers on goal, that could win the 50-50 balls in the air, and that could score off counters. And it's interesting, I think, to see which Belgium we get against Brazil. 
Because I think if Belgium tries to play the sort of 100-mile-an-hour style that they played in the group stage, I think Brazil, and we'll get to Brazil towards the end, because I think we both have them at number one, but, um, spoiler alert, um, but I think if they try to play that kind of, uh, technical style against Brazil, I think Brazil blow them off the, off the field. But if they go big and they try to be, you know, if they try to brute their way through the game, win a couple headers, play it that way and win on counters... Belgium have the talent to be able to do that. So let's let's just get your thoughts on Belgium and where you have them ranked. I have them ranked four. Where do you have them ranked? Yeah, I have them three. Uh, and I only have them, you know, I have France ahead of them because yeah. it's, it's one of those things where the comeback was incredible. That's cool. And Japan is really good, but you were down and you were pretty much out of it until Fellaini came in to save the day. Like, if I'm Belgium, I don't want that to be what we're, you know, this is not what we're expecting here. You have world-class players and Lukaku, uh, De Bruyne and Hazard, you know, and, 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 and Fellaini is the one who had to come in and kind of come in and save the game. And that's just wild to me to think about. And, um, you know, I, I just don't trust that that they have the, the, the mental fortitude yeah. to beat to beat a uh, uh, a team like Brazil. Like a like you said, if they want to run straight up with them, they're gonna get countered to death. And and when Brazil get on the ball, it's yeah, it's it's gonna be over for them. So um it, it, I kind of I I kind of see when we're talking about England, we're talking about the you know, four in four years from now, where they'll they'll be one of the favorites. Like this is I don't want England to fall into what Belgium have become where every every World Cup we're talking about this is the golden age team and this is the, the golden team, this is the team that's supposed to win it all and they never do and they haven't kind of gotten over that proverbial hump and they have all the players, they have everything in there but it's you know it's, it's one of those things I just don't think they're, they're ready to, to, to make that move and I don't even know when that time is going to come for them unfortunately. But um, yeah, like the, the match against Japan for me is it, it's really sketchy when we're talking about the grand schemes and them having to face Brazil. Yeah, Belgium. I think they got exposed a bit because, and the way they got exposed is that they're not a great defensive team. They're just yeah. not a solid defensive team. And I think right now there are three really. I think it, it, you're looking for that balance. And when you want it, when you're looking for a World Cup winner, you like to see a bit of balance in the way they play. And Belgium just don't seem to have that balance. Yeah. And Lukaku did not have a great game, and I think he's going to have to be more physical. That's why I say they're going to have to be physical, because yeah. Brazil. And again, we'll get to Brazil. Brazil are so good that it's going to take Belgium being able to throw Brazil off of their rhythm. And play a more slowed down physical style to really make that work. Even though De Bruyne is really very clinical and good, De Bruyne to me is more of a passer than he is sort of a penetrator. Right. And Eden Hazard is more of a he's sort of Neymar light. So I, I just I, I don't I don't see a path forward. Although if they get past Brazil, anything's possible. Um, yeah. You had Belgium three. I had Croatia three. I'll go quick on Croatia. I like this Croatian team. I thought the Denmark game was a bit of a fluke in just sort of the way it was played. And I think Croatia are, um, 
I, I think they're a better team than that round of 16 game showed. I think they're more the group stage Croatia. And I also put them there for the fact that they're going to have the easiest uh, quarterfinal game. And of the two semifinal games, they're going to have the easiest path through either England or Sweden. And that's not an insult. That's just, you know, it's just factually how it is. Right. So if Croatia are able to control the game, not let it get out of hand. I mean, they gave up that early goal to, to Denmark, and then Denmark really didn't get much else after that. They had possession of the ball a bit, but they were not getting, they were not bombarding Subasic in any real way. And Croatia had the game won in the extra time until Schmeichel just made that, you know, made that save on Modric. So Croatia are experienced. They have guys who have been through the wars. They're a class talented team across the board. And I just feel like there's a really good chance they're in the final against one of the one of the two you know one of the two top teams that are still left in this thing. Let's get to one of those two top teams. I think you have France too, and I have France too. Uh-huh. Um, uh, yeah, go ahead. So uh, yeah, France. France is number two for me. Uh, they they've really been like. And, like, you kind of have to view it from the lens of this particular World Cup where it's been just nuts. It's been the most unexpected things. And when other teams have failed and have, you know, stumped a bit or went over, you know, some some, some, some hurdles, they've been, you know, for the most part consistent. They've been playing their games. They've been they've been doing their job. I just think that their their speed is, 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 is going to bother any team they play with. But they have to play that way the entire time. That that's my only thing with with the France, and <clears throat> that's why I have them number two. Is they have the they have a, a roster that can punch you in the mouth and keep their foot on your neck for the entire ninety minutes. But it's that you know that that, that aggressor mentality they don't seem to have. The only person you will get that out of is maybe Pogba or maybe Toliso and and Matuidi. But it doesn't, you know, vibrate throughout the whole team. But I think their their speed and their, you know, the way they can be dynamic is what's important. And it's important that Kylian Mbappe plays how he played in this last match, where he pretty much put himself on the map in front of the whole world. And I was very happy to see that as a PSG supporter. You know, one of our guys is, he's 19 years old, and he's out here just balling out of his mind. And the one thing that, we saw, you know, last season uh, for PSG is he would have those 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 flashes of brilliant performances, and then there'll be like three matches where he goes MIA, and he can't afford to do that for this team because I think he's what makes them go in terms of an attack. So if, if Mbappe yeah. gives us another performance like that, they can they can very much be in that final, and um, they just need to continue to to when they when they get a goal keep pressing, keep going, and not, you know, play lackadaisical and, and, and start yeah. getting content. So I think this is a very good team. They're very, very, very interesting. Varane and MTT, they haven't blown it yet. Uh, I still <laughs> think Lloris is the is the weakest link. Uh, they, they've given up some goals that they didn't need to give up. I like uh, Pavard. I don't know how to say his yeah, name. Yeah, Benjamin Pavard. I really like how he plays, and... <clears throat> 
I was kind of questioning the lineups as they were coming out during the group stages when they would leave out Mendy and Sidibe. But him and Lucas Hernandez have played excellent, and I think that's another big reason why they've been so balanced uh, in attack and in defense because they, they get forward, but they also get back, and that's one of the reasons Sidibe is a starting. And Mendy, for him, it's probably an injury thing. I'm not sure. Yeah. But Hernandez has stepped up and played excellent. So I really like this France team. I, I've, li- I've liked them more than I did when uh, when this tournament started. I have to make some mea culpas here. I will say that Didier Deschamps' approach, which tends to be slightly more conservative, he tends to be slightly more pragmatic in the way he approaches the games, the way he has his teams approach the games. Yeah. In this World Cup, in this specific tournament, it is working. And France are a team that doesn't get too high, doesn't get too low. They understand the situation. They're not going to panic. And I thought that in that game against Argentina, Argentina did everything in their power to speed the game up. And what I mean by that is they they pressed high. They tried to trap at the midfield. They were doing everything in their power to force France to speed up. And when France speeds up, and it, it, it's there's a difference between being fast and playing in a fast sort of reckless way. You watch that England Columbia game. Those guys were playing fast, but they were playing recklessly. Yeah. You look at France, their counters out of midfield were just unbelievable. You watched, like, Conte. Conte would get the ball, and he would know exactly what to do with it. If he had space, he ran into the space. If he didn't, he passed it off. Pogba, same thing. If he had space to run, he ran. If he didn't, he held the ball up, he got it out to the wings, they got forward. I don't need France to play 100 miles an hour. What you want from France is that ball moving forward. And when you have Conte and Pogba in the way that they're playing now, the ball is moving forward. It's always There's always an attack going. When those guys get the ball, they're looking to get it out to the wings or run into the space. And... Mbappe and Olivier Giroud, who I've argued probably shouldn't be starting, I was wrong in that I think he gives them a central, um, as long as he doesn't get in the way and kind of be too burdensome, as long as he's sort of moving around with them and helping in the link up and being able to come up and knock the ball down, he's been very effective for France. So I'll say that. Those are my two surprises for France. I think Deschamps has been exactly what they've needed, and Giroud has been exactly what they've needed. He's made up for a little bit of Antoine Griezmann's struggles, although I think Griezmann's been better than people give him credit for. Um, Uruguay's not necessarily the game where Kylian Mbappe is going to make his mark, just because Uruguay are not going to let him run the way Argentina did. I mean, Argentina's defensively was a was a was an absolute wreck, so they couldn't, they had no idea how to deal with him. This is going to be a game where, again, when France get the ball, they're going to need to get it forward and look for opportunities to get the ball into the box, look for opportunities possibly to get fouls in the box, get onto the penalty spot, and open Uruguay up. Because it's going to take a while, and the longer it goes, the more solidified that's going to be. But they got to keep prying and prying and trying to get them open. Right. And if they get a goal or two early, they can open them up. But if it gets late, 
and I think what Uruguay are going to try to do is take this to extra time and penalties, France might have a problem. Now, if they can get that goal early like they did against Argentina, they'll be in a good spot. And I think they should be able to get through Uruguay, especially without Cavani, and they should be at the semifinals for the uh, first time since 2006. Let's talk about number one. And um, I think undisputably, or in undisputed, it's undisputed, thank you, it's undisputed <laughs> that Brazil right now are the favorites. Yeah. And we've had a lot of shocking things happen at this World Cup. A lot of things that are surprising, a lot of things that we did not see coming. I would be genuinely shocked if Brazil lose at any stage in this World Cup. I feel like they are, to use other sports analogies, I know they're not everyone's favorite, but they're the Golden State Warriors. Yeah. Or the San Antonio Spurs of a couple years back. They are a complete team. And what I love about Brazil is that you can hang with them for 30 minutes. Mexico hung with them for 30 minutes. You can do that, but eventually it just, you can't. I can't think of a team, even France, that can stay with Brazil for 90 minutes. And, and that's part of the way they play, and that's part of the way Neymar plays, which is it's that identity of a relentless attacking team that can pass, that can shoot, they can dribble through people. They can work it out wide. That's only conceded four shots on goal the entire tournament. Yeah. And a balanced team that has Fernandinho that can come in. Marcelo hasn't played in two games. And when he comes in, he'll offer something to them that's different than what Felipe Luiz is doing. Fogner, I think, has been a... Huge upgrade over Danilo. I think that was a piece that, um, once Chiche made that move, I think it solidified things, because I just don't think Danilo's very good. And Paulinho's doing his job. Coutinho's obviously going above and beyond. This is a complete team. And they can play multiple, they can play multiple styles. They can absorb. They can counter. They can play on the front foot. There's very little weakness and unless Brazil self-destructs or something happens, which is always possible, I can't see any other team winning this thing. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you pretty much said it. This yeah. is a this is a grown team. Like this is this these are the big dogs. And while everyone has been stumbling and and, and going through rough patches, they've just been chugging along. And what I love is the consistency. And what Chiche does and his lineups and his tactics, they've won, other than the, 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 the one, one, one draw in, um, in the first game against Switzerland, they've won every game 2-0. And that, you know, that, that, that lets you know that when they pounce on you, they're going to pounce on you. That's, that's the one thing I was looking at France that they kind of lack. And to me, the, the brilliance of this team and the difference from this team and the team that we saw in the 2014 World Cup is there's a balance of great defending and great attacking and a solid midfield that can defend and join the attack. It's It's been uh, – I, I, I haven't watched Jal Miranda a lot play and enter, but I really love the way he plays. Like it's 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 really – it's one of those things as a fan uh, that you, if you're rooting for Brazil, it's a calming factor to know that 
you have two solid defenders who aren't letting anything go to to and, and, and if it does get past them you have a world class uh, goalkeeper in Ali Son. And, you know, for them to keep a clean sheet ever since that first match, to me, has been very impressive. Um, Casemiro, obviously, uh, is not going to be playing in the match against Belgium. I don't think that matters all that much. I, I think, he, I think, I don't think Belgium are, um, I don't think Belgium are direct enough where they're going to hurt them in that, in the middle of the field. I just, I, I don't see it, I don't see it being that big of, I and mean, Fernandinho is a, starter on a Premier League championship team. So it's like I think yeah, they'll be okay. That's the thing. That's the thing. It's like you're 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 removing a world class player and adding a world class player in there. So it's and, and that's my whole point. And the the depth of this team is another aspect where you have a Donny Alves who doesn't even make the World Cup because of an injury and you you're able to plug in Danilo and even if he wasn't great, you have Fogner and he I think he's been amazing. Uh, I think he had uh, in the in the match against uh, who did they play again the match against Serbia he had a phenomenal game for his first match in the World Cup and then against Mexico Chucky Lozano and uh, uh, Carlos Vela kind of gave him gave him a little bit of trouble there they were they were kind of attacking on his side a lot and then you would see Thiago Silva and Miranda kind of barking at him and then the second half he kind of just had a phenomenal performance, and he, he made a big a big block towards the end of the game when they uh, when Mexico got into the box. So I think this team is growing every match, and the, the the consistency that they're playing with is very impressive. And you know we can talk about Neymar and and all of his you know whatever you want to talk about the, the guy's performing. And let's not forget that he's just now getting back from injury. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like that that's that that's a, that's when one of the most underrated things that no one is talking about because of all the other BS. Like he's literally just got back from injury, from a big injury, and is playing lights out. And Coutinho has been stepping up and you have Willian who had an amazing performance uh, in that last game against Mexico. So it's like, you know, well, well, what do you want? They can hit you this way, they can play in a four two three one, four four two, four three three, whatever you want. But I think the balance of the defense and the and the attack is what's making it. And, and, and the only way I'll see them losing is, like you said, if it has to be like a mental collapse, right? Like, that's <laughs> the only way I see them winning, uh, losing yeah. in any game. So And that Brazil-France potential semifinal, France can beat them. They have the midfield to do it. They have, they have the talent to beat them. I just feel like that's going to be one of those games where – not to bring this back, but to go back to PSG and Real Madrid in the in the Champions League last year. One of these teams has a level. We'll see which one of them has the, the next level to go to that right. leaves the other team behind. And that's how all sports really work. When it be, when it you know and sometimes that level isn't another gear, it's just being able to be consistent in every situation. So like, for example, in baseball, Derek Jeter was almost a lifetime 300 hitter. Yeah. But it wasn't like he was batting 500 in the postseason. It's not like he elevated himself. He basically had the same average. But that's sort of the greatness of consistency, which is what what we give you in, you know, in game 30 of the season, we're going to give you in game, you know, in the World Series. Same idea with, 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 with football, which is, 
when they have that consistency and they have that level that they can reach where everything they do is in sync, it's intelligent, they don't panic, they make the right pass, they make the right play, they make the right run. The team that's going to win this thing is going to be the team that can reach that level the most consistently. And right now, it obviously looks like it's going to be Brazil. So, I know we did said we weren't going to do predictions, but for the hell of it, who is our who are our final four? Uruguay, France. Yeah, I have France. Like I said, I think uh, an unfit Cavani definitely they're going to lose. But even with Cavani there, I think France's speed is going to overpower the the non-existent midfield that uh, Uruguay have, and Cavani and Suarez having to come come up and be the creators. I think that's asking too much against a team like France. Brazil and Belgium. Uh, Belgium, I, I'm, I'm sorry, but Brazil, yeah, yeah. I'm going to go with Brazil. We spent 10 minutes praising them, and all of a sudden we're going to have them lose in the quarterfinals. <laughs> yeah, no, Belgium is going to lose this one. I, I think I think uh, this is going to be one of the big first tests that Thiago Silva and Miranda are going to have in terms of them playing a, a striker like Lukaku who can create create uh, opportunities on and off the ball. He's a big striker. He's a physical striker. What Thiago Silva tends to do with strikers like that, he, he man marks them. And I don't know if that would be a good idea when you have Hazard and other guys. But I think this would be a big test for them defensively. But uh, like I say, experience and, 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 and balance is going uh, to be the deciding factor. And I have Brazil in that one. Um, what about um, Croatia and Russia? Croatia, uh, again, Russia, they've gotten this far through, you know, just that kind of uh, spirited run, but Croatia's way too disciplined. They're, it's not just their midfield, it's Mandzukic, Perisic, De- Dejan Lovren has been playing better than I expected, Daniel Supersic is performing well, they're a very balanced team, strong, disciplined team, Russia's not going to give them uh, that much of a problem. England and Sweden. Uh, I have England in this match. Uh, I, I think they're gonna they're gonna find a way to, to, to grind it out. I think their last match that they just won against Colombia is gonna be something that they can carry on into this match and learn how to grind out a win and and uh, and then sort of just you know staying in the match no matter what happens. This this is a match I can see going into uh, extra time or penalty kicks. But I think England would uh, would edge them out. Last question before we um, move off into this, uh, right off into the sunset. Who is your player of the tournament uh, so far? Hmm. If you had to pick one, who would your player of the tournament be? That's a difficult one. I don't I don't know if anyone has. All right, let's go with a short list. Let's go with our three. Okay. Yeah, I was say I don't think anyone has really like you know impressed me that way. Uh, N'Golo Conte for France. I would say Felipe uh, Coutinho and um, and uh, Luka Modric. I, I think they've they've been essential for everything that's happening for their teams. So I would say Conte, Felipe uh, Coutinho, and um, Luka Modric. Yeah, those would be my three too. Those exact those are exactly be my three. I think Modric is. I think Modric has been tremendous. I think. Uh, Coutinho as well, and N'Golo Conte has just been consistently a dominant force in their midfield. Uh, John, um, plug your Twitter, anything you might be working on, and um, go ahead. 
Yeah, follow me on Twitter at God for short G O D F R S H O R T on Twitter, and um, you know, we're gonna I'm gonna be getting back into uh, getting some more content out there. So will I eventually. Uh, <laughs> with uh, you know, we I've, I've really been wanting to, but it's just like this World Cup is like so you know it, it's it's just been amazing, and I just want to kind of just take it all in and be a fan of something that we might not ever see again. It's been really phenomenal. But PSG, is, is uh, today they went back into training. So some interesting storylines coming out of there. So uh, just look out for some stuff here shortly. Mm. All right, awesome. So for John Olandi, this has been PSG Talk contributor Mark Damon saying au revoir for now.